This is Varun Harun for Information Security Media Group Asia. I'm speaking with Katie Misoris, who is the Chief Policy Officer for HackerOne. We're going to be speaking about secure development life cycles, the ISO standard for vulnerability disclosure, and the prevalent bug bounty trend that is catching on in Indian circles. Katie, I attended your keynote, very interesting stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about how these bug bounty programs work? And what do you see from an Indian context, especially? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the way bug bounties typically work is an organization wants to hear about security vulnerabilities from the public. And so they offer a cash reward for anyone who comes forward with uh, information about a security bug. And it's a great way to recognize people who contribute to the security of your website or your products. But it's also something that can be a useful tool to help focus the security researchers or the hackers of the world on areas that you want them to look at. So if you're offering cash for certain things, it can help enhance your security of the next version of your software. It can help organize you know, what you're looking at in terms of where you are finding weaknesses in your software. And from an Indian perspective, a lot of security researchers, a lot of hackers, have actually started participating in bug bounty programs around the world. So it is a relatively easy way for people who want to make some cash and contribute to the security of the internet at the same time. And so we actually see a lot of bug hunters coming out of India. So it's a big and growing trend in Indian uh, security technology. Well, you were talking about the trade-off. For example, you said uh, you know, money is not everything, right? Mm -hmm. So these bugs that are disclosed might sell for, for a high price tag in the underground. For example, in Microsoft's IE11 beta program, you said the total amount of payouts given was just about $30,000. So what is the trade-off? Why would somebody come to a bug bounty program rather than go sell it underground? Well, it's um, the trade-off there is that People have different motivations for what they do. Every human being has different motivations for what they do, and they're not generally primarily motivated by money. Um, so some people are motivated by fame or recognition. Some people are just motivated by what I call the pursuit of intellectual happiness or uh, the hacker's curiosity. They just want to see if they can. Um, this is something that uh, is, is a common thread among hackers worldwide. Um, so. In terms of being able to satisfy those different motivations, money is just a component of it. If you're selling to the underground, the underground really wants to keep those bugs a secret. So you would never be able to claim that you were the one who found a certain vulnerability. There's also the moral issue that when you sell to the underground, you're pretty much selling to people who are going to use those vulnerabilities to attack people. So if you have a concern about the security of the services that you yourself use and depend upon on the internet, then you tend to want to give it to people, give those vulnerabilities to people who will fix them rather than exploit them. You spoke extensively about how you should make it more accessible to these people, but also there is the other side of it that you know any kind of activity done in this space is usually illegal. So how does the hacker you know go about knowing that he might be liable for prosecution? So penetration testing in and of itself is, it's usually done under contract with, with a company. Bug bounty hunting, on the other hand, is something that, you know, a researcher might, might do um, and in hopes for a reward, but there are laws that already exist that make it very difficult for, um, for them to know whether or not they might be prosecuted um, for finding those vulnerabilities. So there's always a risk to the security researcher in the current laws that we have worldwide, and, and someone over Twitter let me know that there are laws in India that also um, make it a criminal activity to look for vulnerabilities in online services unless you have actually been, you know, 
hired to do that explicitly. So I think really what we need to do as we evolve, you know, in the internet economy is that we need to recognize that the hackers who want to come forward and let an organization know about a security bug are not, you know, some sort of James Bond villain. They're not Dr. Evil from, you know, from uh, Austin Powers movie where they're going to explain to you in great detail all of the evil things they're about to do to you before they do it. We are not in the movies. So these people who come forward with this information are trying to help. And so if there is a way for these laws to preserve the ability to hunt down criminals and um, allow security researchers a safe harbor to report vulnerabilities, then I think that is the partnership that's needed between the hacker community and the internet providers as a whole. The fact of the matter is, for you to actually tell a live production system about a vulnerability in their site or in their, you know, in their online service, technically, you're breaking a law in order to even find it. And that is something that we need to change. Just to check my facts, you were the founder of Semantics and Microsoft's uh, bug bounty program, or? So Symantec, as far as I know, does not have a bug bounty program, but um, so what I did at Symantec was I was a professional penetration tester there, so companies would hire me to break in and then show them what I had done and report their vulnerabilities. Um, when I was at Symantec, I founded Symantec Vulnerability Research, which was the ability for penetration testers who worked at the company to report vulnerabilities that they found outside of work um, to the organizations that were affected. And so because I started that program, I wrote Symantec's Vulnerability Disclosure Policy policy. So it was the policy that we would let vendors know about um, uh, about security issues in their products. I also wrote Microsoft's vulnerability disclosure policy, which is called Coordinated Vulnerability Disclosure. And um, that's also the way that Microsoft would act when they were receiving vulnerability reports from the outside, so acting in the role of vendor. And, they would, and since I also founded Microsoft Vulnerability Research, it was also the way in which Microsoft would report vulnerabilities to the outside world. So both these uh, form the secure development lifecycle. Actually, both of them are in, they, they sit in the response phase of, of security. And so the security development lifecycle is the preventative or proactive activities that you do um, to try and build security in from the design phase on up. So before you even write a single line of code, you should be thinking about security and you should be modeling your threats and trying to figure out ways that the architecture of the code that you're writing will be resistant to attack. And then you carry this, uh, these activities through as you develop the code itself and you implement your architecture ideas. So the security development lifecycle is designed to reduce or eliminate as many security vulnerabilities as possible before you actually release or deploy your code. Now you said to me a while back that even if you're just a company who doesn't write any code but you have an internet presence, you should have some kind of a vulnerability reporting system. Having uh, written the policy for both Symantec and Microsoft, you know what have you learned from those guys that uh, the small companies only can learn and apply to themselves? Well, you know, actually, this is a good time to talk about the ISO standards on vulnerability disclosure. So, um, ISO uh, 29147 is on vulnerability disclosure, and this was worked on by the international community for uh, more than seven years. I worked on it myself for, for about that period of time. And um, what it says is that, one, you should have a very easy way for security researchers or customers or partners or anybody outside your organization to report a security issue to you. You want to have your ears open to hear about it before your users are attacked, or before you are attacked. Um, so that's number one. Number two, have, have a way to communicate 
how to resolve a security issue to your affected users. So if you're just running a website, um, and you're not making products per se, but you have users who log in to your website, there may be a need for you to tell your users at a certain point that they need to change their passwords, for example, because of a security issue. So having that ability to communicate accurately um, is something that everyone who has a presence on the internet can use. And having the ability to hear from the hacker community, or really anyone who might stumble upon a security issue, is something that everyone can use. It is actually quite tricky to agree on vulnerability disclosure timelines, for example. Um, you know, obviously you want to be able to fix the vulnerability as quickly as possible, but creating a patch that um, crashes most systems is going to undermine the security of your users as a whole because they will stop trusting your patches. So in order to make sure that you know, you're not only closing the security vulnerability, but you're also not creating um, stability issues in your products um, or in your users' deployments, by doing adequate testing is important. Also, if you create a patch um, that, that doesn't completely address the vulnerability, it's an incomplete fix or it only addresses one vector of attack, then essentially, once you release that patch, you've given attackers a roadmap to the vulnerable code that isn't fully fixed. So you, you want to be very careful about that. Now can you tell me how does a platform like HackerOne work? What is the vision? And for example, how techies in India can benefit from a platform like that? Well, we actually uh, allow folks to use the HackerOne platform for free. Um, so if an organization wants an easy way to receive vulnerability reports and communicate with the hackers, they can actually use our platform for free. The way it works is you, know, you would set up a page, so hackerone.com slash your organization name, and then you would put what you want in scope on your page where hackers can report vulnerability issues to you. And it's automatic you know, that you can add them to your Hall of Fame, which would also be hosted on the site if you're not offering a bounty program. Um, and hackers really appreciate being thanked and being recognized. They also, the hackers, on the other hand, benefit from a reputation system. So the more issues that they submit that are turned out to be real vulnerabilities, um, and the more they are thanked and the more they receive bounties, the higher their reputation goes. The ones with the highest reputations get invited to invitation-only bug bounty programs. So, um, so on the platform, we do host a number of bug bounty programs as well. And um, so, you know, Twitter, Yahoo, Square, a lot of these companies, um, they host a bug bounty program. And for us, it's an ability for um, for us to help them manage this process using a platform that provides all of these tools for them. Is there anything you want to tell me about any trends in particular that you see that uh, uh, bug bounty hunters in India are pursuing? Well, you know, the trends that we see, uh, the majority of bug bounty hunters in general, um, as well as in India, go after web vulnerabilities. And that was that was the piece that I was talking about, about these laws that are in place that if it's a web vulnerability on a site that you don't own, there is this legal risk, right, for the, for the researcher to come forward. Even if you actually have a bug bounty program, you can often um, see where uh, criminal, basically criminal charges could still be brought because technically it is illegal still. Um, so where I see the trends going right now is ideally as we move into more and more online services, ideally we'll be able to correct some of these laws 
so that they allow for these researchers to come forward. Um, and more and more people will look at bug bounties as a way to supplement what they're already doing in terms of their security development life cycle. Because if you are trying to rely on a bug bounty program alone and you're not taking the steps to prevent as many security issues as possible, you are going to be wasting your time and you're going to be wasting your engineering resources um, on fixing a whole bunch of bugs that shouldn't have occurred in the first place. So I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is that you know, for developers worldwide, wherever they may be, um, invest in understanding how to write more secure software. Do the best that you can, but accept that we're only human, and as long as code is written by humans, there will be bugs. And for those bugs, you should have a bounty program. And, you know, just to get some exciting stuff in, uh, when you were with Microsoft, you've written out some big paychecks. So can you tell us a little bit about the biggest paycheck you've written? So that was the first historic uh, payment of the $100,000 mitigation bypass bounty, and that went to James Forshaw, who is here at the conference, and he spoke yesterday. And he came up with a brand new way to bypass all of what, what are called platform mitigations. So platform mitigations are sort of the, the safety net or the shield that sits on top of the entire platform, and it makes exploiting individual bugs harder. So what he did was he came up with a really clever way to bypass all the mitigations that Microsoft hadn't really seen before. So that information was important to get ahead of when criminals started using it to attack people because it actually made the platform or the next version of the platform stronger. Now I have one interesting observation from all of this, you know, when you speak about how laws need to be changed so that people can come forward and help you out with problems that they've noticed. It's interesting to note that in the last five years or so, the hacker word itself has undergone transformation. Now you're looking at white hats, they're glorified rather than looked upon as bad guys or up to no good. So how do you see this changing in the next couple of years or maybe in the next five years or so? Because hackers are actually now becoming good guys. It's, it, it is always cool, but now getting mainstream acclaim. Well, you know, from my own past in my own career, I loved hacking things legitimately. You know, I loved getting paid to break into systems. There's a thrill to it. So I think that it's a really attractive area for people, you know, getting to know technology, um, to be able to manipulate code to do what you want. And it's something that as we look for the next generation of defenders, you need to understand how to attack in order to defend appropriately. Because if you don't understand the attacker's mindset, you will never be able to appropriately defend an organization or a website or a product. Um, so I think, I think what's really exciting about uh, about all of these bounty hunters coming coming up um, is that they are the next generation of defenders. So we are training um, we are training the army that we need. All right. Thanks so much, Katie, for your insights. This is Varun Harun for Information Security Media Group Asia. Thank you for listening.